This morning, God's Word comes to us from Deuteronomy 16, that is printed on the handout for this morning. Or if you have your own Bibles, you might feel free to look up Deuteronomy 16. We'll be reading today just the verses 9 through 12 of this chapter. Deuteronomy 16, beginning at verse 9, what we hear now is God's word. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, you can probably tell by the songs that we have sung, uh, today is Pentecost Sunday. It is a special day in the life of the Christian church, a day which celebrates the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have talked about Pentecost uh, the last couple weeks in our evening services. We have talked about the Pentecost event, we have talked about the Pentecost sermon, and so rather than going to Acts 2, which would be a normal text for Pentecost morning, uh, we're going to look a little deeper into Pentecost. Um, Pentecost is a special day for the church, but a day that's often misunderstood in the church, both by parishioners and by church leaders. I have heard several times in the last few weeks, I think I mentioned this several times, how Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Uh, in fact, one church I'm aware of some years ago, not, not a, in our federation, another, another uh, denomination, the church celebrated Pentecost uh, with balloons and a birthday cake for everyone because it was the church's birthday. I'm, I'm uncomfortable uh, with that idea for a number of reasons. One is, it makes the Holy Spirit seem like a New Testament-only phenomenon. And we know that the Holy Spirit has been active throughout the life of the church. From creation, the Holy Spirit was there and was active. And it seems to make the church only a New Testament phenomenon. But we know that the church, God being in fellowship with a particular people, has been throughout history. That began, too, in the Garden of Eden and will continue to the end of time. So these, these ideas of the birthday of the church simply misses the point. The Holy Spirit has always been active, and the church has always been in relationship to God. Children, Pentecost is a little different than other Christian holidays. When we celebrate Christmas, uh, we do that on December 25 to commemorate the birth of Christ. 
when we celebrate Good Friday. We call that day Good Friday because it's the day that Christ died on the cross for our sins. We celebrate the Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, the day that Christ arose. We celebrated a couple weeks ago the Ascension, the day that Christ ascended into heaven. Pentecost is different than that. We do not call today Pentecost because it was on this day that the Spirit was poured out. Rather, it's the other way around. Perhaps you recall from Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in Jerusalem. As I've said a couple times, in a certain sense, there is nothing new in Pentecost. Pentecost reaches back into the Old Testament, and in fact reaches back to Deuteronomy chapter 16 and the text that we read this morning about the Feast of Weeks. Yet as we look at this, we see how in God's perfect plan to have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit take place on Pentecost so perfectly fits the Old Testament picture, but now in a New Testament context. Israel was called to keep the feast. There were three main feasts in the Old Testament times. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, connected with the Passover. The Feast of Weeks, we read about that this morning. And the Feast of Tabernacles. And these three feasts would shape their liturgical, their worship year, because they would recall the great events of God's redemption for them. But they would also provide a link between their worship and their work. They had an agrarian economy. And these feasts are all connected with agriculture and with harvest. In the fall, at the harvest of the grapes and the olives, they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. In the spring, at the beginning of the barley harvest, they would celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, connected with the Passover. And seven weeks later, at the beginning of the wheat harvest, they would celebrate what was called the Feast of Weeks. Verse 9, you shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to that standing grain. From the time of the beginning of the wheat harvest, of the, excuse me, of the barley harvest, now it becomes the beginning of the wheat harvest. And this Feast of Weeks... These seven sevens is also called Pentecost. Uh, seven sevens, kids. So if you take seven times seven, you get 49. And you add the day of Passover, you get 50. And, and Pentecost, that penta part, has to do with the 50. Uh, maybe some of you have been to uh, Washington, D.C., uh, and have seen a building there, uh, uh, actually in Virginia, a five-sided building. And we call that building the Pentagon, because it's got five sides. That penta means five. The Pentecost is 50. 50 days after the beginning of the barley harvest, they would celebrate the wheat harvest. 
And on this Pentecost, this, this Feast of Weeks, 50 days, they were called, verse 10, you shall keep the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. They would keep the feast by bringing an offering. They would keep the feast by giving a gift as a part of their celebration. They were called to bring a free will offering. Now, their free will offerings are a little different than our free will offerings today. When we lived in Sioux Center uh, in the summertime, on each one of the holidays, uh, there would be a pancake breakfast uh, held in the local park. And as you went into the pancake breakfast, it was held by the various churches and there's a little sign that says free will offering. And I would, you know, walk in and say, well, you know, I'm a good Calvinist. I don't believe in free will. So I'm not gonna give anything. Uh, that's not the kind of free will offering they're talking about. Uh, the free will offering they're talking about is an offering above and beyond their regular offerings. An offering above what they would normally give. There were certain requirements they were prescribed to bring, uh, certain offerings to bring. But above and beyond that, they would give these free will offerings. But again, in proportion to how God had blessed them. You shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. So still, in a, a sense of uh, proportion, their tithes were in proportion to what God had given to them. The free will offering in proportion to what God had given to them. When we come to the New Testament time, that Pentecost, that takes place 50 days after the Passover, which is connected with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That Unleavened Bread Feast is also sometimes called and overlaps with the Feast of First Fruits. And again, that makes sense. It took place at the beginning of the barley harvest. At the beginning of the harvest, they would bring the first of their fruits, very, very literally, they'd bring the first fruits as an offering, trusting that there would be more fruit to come later. The feast of first fruits was given in anticipation of God providing more harvest for them later. When we think about that in connection with the life of Christ, Christ comes and he celebrates the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, connected with first fruits, with his disciples before he finishes his task on earth going to the cross. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, tied up with Christ initiating his final act of obedience to go to the cross for the sake of his people. He was the first fruits. And as he would, would celebrate that first fruits, the idea is there's more to come. There's more coming later. And as we saw in our study of Acts, it's a book of what Jesus not only began to do, that was in the Gospel of Luke, but what Jesus continues to do by the power of his Spirit. In Acts, we have the more to come. And so on Pentecost, that day that celebrated that more being given, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
Following Jesus, that perfect sacrifice, that unleavened bread, that lamb without blemish, offering himself up 50 days later, that which was anticipated is given. The fullness, the greatness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' work continuing here on earth through the power of his Spirit. Pentecost was that celebration of more to come. And when God pours out his Spirit, that is the more to come. There was a gift involved with Pentecost, a, a gift bring, being brought. But in, 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 in the New Testament Pentecost, we see the gift is not being brought to God. The gift comes from God as he blesses his church. But we said the Holy Spirit is not a New Testament phenomenon. The Holy Spirit has been active uh, throughout history, but, but, but often very particularly. He would act in very specific, uh, particular ways. Now we have the more to come. Now we have the fullness as God pours out his gift of the Holy Spirit upon his church. And he pours out in proportion, not to who we are, in proportion to who he is. His greatness, his grandeur, his glory, the Holy Spirit overwhelmingly given to the church. Pentecost was such a fitting day, a beautiful fulfillment of those Old Testament anticipations. It celebrated more to come. And in the New Testament Pentecost, that more came with abundance as God pours his Spirit upon his people. They were called to rejoice before the Lord. Verse 11, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who's within your town, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. There was a particular place for this rejoicing. And that place for them in the Old Testament was Jerusalem. This is where most of the feasts would take place. They would come to Jerusalem. Remember Acts 2, it was the day of Pentecost and they all came together. They came to Jerusalem, a particular place. In fact, many of them would pilgrimage to Jerusalem so that they might be there. Now, certainly God was, was ruling over all of Israel. It all belonged to him. But he says in a particular way, I will have my name dwell in Jerusalem, and more specifically, in the temple. There's a particular place where I will be. I rule over all of it, but in a special way, my name will dwell here. To rejoice, there was a particular place, and there was a list of these various people. You shall rejoice, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite in your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who is among you. There's a sense of everyone being included. Everyone brought in, not just a particular part of the family, all the family, the servants too, the Levites there, someone who's visiting. They're all brought in. This celebration was for the people. What about our Pentecost, our New Testament Pentecost? Now, certainly, as we said in Acts 2, they went to Jerusalem. Is that where we should be this morning? Should we have all uh, booked passage and taken flights to Israel so we could go to that place 
and truly rejoice before God, there is still a place where God says, my name will dwell in a particular way. But it's not a geographic place. We don't have to fly to Jerusalem. God has said, my name will dwell in my church, which is why I'm just so thrilled that in God's good providence, it is this day, this Pentecost day, we can return to in-person worship. We can gather as a church, as a body, in person, because God has said, here is where my name will dwell. We don't have to travel somewhere. God gives the Spirit to the church, and we gather today to acknowledge that. He has placed his name in the midst of his people. This is is where the Spirit, in particular, uh, does his work. The Spirit has particular tools that He uses. The Spirit's work is to bring us to faith and to strengthen our faith. And kids, He has some particular tools He uses to do those works, to bring us to faith and to strengthen our faith. And those tools are the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. The Spirit works through the preaching of the gospel, through the ministry of the word. It is the tool that he uses to change our hearts, to bring us to faith. When we we observe a baptism, when we come to the Lord's table, it is the Spirit at work to strengthen us in our walk with him. And those things take place in the context of the church. Where do we go to find God? We come here. He rules everywhere. He's God over all. In a particular way, He dwells in the midst of His people, a place here where God's name is. And who are the people? Who are the participants? As with the Old Testament Pentecost, all are called to come in. All in whom the Spirit is active are called to come and confess and to worship our God. The church is for men, it is for women, it is for boys, it is for girls, it is for old, it is for young, it is for all those who make a common confession. The confession of Jesus Christ, our only hope, the hope for sinners. That's what brings us together. Not a particular ethnicity, not not a particular economic status, it is that confession of Jesus Christ as Lord that we rejoice in today once again. This people, this this band God has brought together, that we can rejoice in who he is. Pentecost, a particular place, a particular people. And, And we read in verse 12, You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Part of their celebration was a remembrance a remembrance of the past. And for Israel, that was a remembrance that they had been brought out of slavery. They had been captives. 
And God would send his anointed Moses to lead them out. God would send his anointed Joshua to bring them into the promised land. They would remember the past, what God had done. Now, we don't call to mind in our past a slavery to a particular people. When we think of our past, our captivity is not to a particular people. Our captivity was to our sin. A captivity which we were completely unable to free ourselves from. But God would send His chosen. God would send His anointed. God would send the better than Moses, the better than Joshua. God would send His Son, Jesus Christ, who by His life and death would release us from that captivity. That's what we remember this morning as we celebrate Pentecost, what God has done, the work of Jesus Christ that He did and continues to do. As the Holy Spirit continues to use the ministry of the Word to call out for faith and repentance, to call us to embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, as the one who's delivered us, and to rejoice in what God has done. They were to remember the past, and they were to be careful to observe the statutes. Reflecting upon the past leads to obedience in the present. Reflecting upon what God has done, that He has released us a captivity from which we could not free ourselves. He has done what we could not do and set us free from the condemnation of our sin. That motivates us to gratitude. That's why we, we want to keep the statutes, want to keep the law. Not because keeping the law will earn favor with God, but because of what God has done. He has released us from the slavery of sin. How can we show God our gratitude, our thankfulness? We keep His holy law. And we know that even the ability to begin to keep the law is because the Spirit is at work. Left to ourselves, we could never do it. But the Spirit is at work even today in the lives of God's people. And He gives us that desire and he gives us that ability to begin to walk in the ways of our God. We celebrate Pentecost. We remember what God has done, and we know what we are called to do. Pentecost is a day of celebration for the church, a day which reaches back into the Old Testament, which reaches back to the Feast of Weeks, and yet so beautifully prepares us for what happened on that day. They were celebrating, not at the beginning of the barley harvest, but the fullness of the wheat harvest. They were looking forward to more, and then Pentecost, they received more. Jesus Christ came, did everything necessary to secure our salvation, but there was more to come. And on Pentecost, God in His fullness pours out the Holy Spirit to remind us that this place, this church whom he has called is his particular people. He calls us to rejoice in him today, to remember what he has done, and to leave with a greater desire, a greater commitment that by the power of the Spirit, we will live in ways that bring glory to God. Oh, may God help us truly to celebrate Pentecost this Lord's Day. Let's join together in prayer.
Lord our God, we thank you and praise you for your holy word. We thank you for being the God of all history. We thank you for unfolding your plan of salvation in your perfect time and for so beautifully giving us pictures of that already in the Old Testament. We think of Pentecost, a celebration of the more to come. And we, O oh God, are the recipients of that more to come. You have poured out your Holy Spirit. May we today and every day rejoice in you. Rejoice in what you have done for us. And because of that, O oh God, commit even further to live in a way that brings glory and praise to you. We are weak, but you are strong. Fill us with your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.